Welcome to Property Unpacked, a brand new weekly podcast by Domain. I'm Alice Stoltz. Each episode, we'll be talking to experts and hearing stories about people's property experiences. We'll unpack what's happening and how it affects you so you can be informed and make the right decision. Let's jump into it. The Premier will tell a meeting of the National Cabinet tonight that he's shutting all non-essential activities, including businesses. Gatherings outside or inside should not be more than two people, unless it's your immediate family. Real estate auctions and open house inspections, that cannot continue. The country is on the slow road to recovery, but the number of Australians out of work is predicted to remain high for some time. For an industry that thrives on personal interaction, the property market has been operating at arm's length. Now, the welcome mat is out again. It's not an exaggeration to say the coronavirus pandemic altered the Australian property market overnight. The social isolation and lockdown measures that governments implemented in response to the virus resulted in drastic and fundamental change to not just how Australians buy and sell real estate, but also how they live and work. In this episode, we look at what short-term impact COVID-19 has had on the property market and also how buyers and sellers are navigating through this period. Later on, we'll talk to renowned market commentator Evan Lucas about what this means for the economy and for property. We'll also hear the personal story of a buyer who soldiered on and bought a house during the lockdown. But first up, we're talking to Domain Editorial Director Adrian Lowe to hear a snapshot of what happened to the market when COVID-19 hit and where we've now landed. Adrian, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Now, Adrian, all of a sudden when COVID-19 hit, the property market went into lockdown like the rest of the country. But what did this actually mean when it came to transacting property? It really meant that agents had to move online for auctions that were going to happen. We also saw a lot of vendors withdraw from auctions that were supposed to be held either that weekend or in the weekends after. If you had to sell, you went online. If you didn't have to and you could hold on a little bit longer, you'd pull it from auction and go to a private sale. For that former group, they really were between a rock and a hard place if they just purchased a property. They probably were in a situation where they really did have to sell that weekend. Absolutely. And I don't think we should underestimate the enormity of how many people were actually caught up in that position. There were more than 2,000 auctions scheduled for the weekend that the Prime Minister made his announcement and another 2,000 the weekend after. And they were just the first two weeks. So you would have had thousands of people trying to work out, do we need to sell right now? Can we hold off? Not knowing how long the restrictions on the industry would last, not knowing how long coronavirus would be around. So you had a lot of people trying to make decisions as quickly as possible. A lot of phone calls, a lot of agents' phone batteries probably being drained and a lot of um, really concerned people. You know, I think it's good for property that the restrictions have worked. We aren't in the same situation and we weren't in there probably as long as people thought we would be. Adrian, and what role did technology play in that response? How did agents pivot from having public auctions to then having to go online? We did see a big move to online auction platforms or adapting existing technology like Google Hangouts for auctions. Um, As I said, you know, only a small number of people went ahead in those first couple of weeks, but we did see that number, particularly in Sydney, start to increase. People were quite willing to embrace the new technology. Melbourne, the traditional auction market, auction capital of the world, as we like to say, the numbers were quite subdued where, you know, it was a market where people didn't actually adopt to the online model as much. But it was interesting to see that there were some uh, vendors and some buyers really happy 
with the process and able to get a good uh, a good purchase. So where are we now? You know, early on, Scott Morrison was talking about this sort of snapback. How is that going? Is that what's happening in property? I've seen clearance rates from the last weekend have been very strong based on low volumes, like granted, but still, you know, a much worse scenario would have been low volume levels and low clearance rates. What we have seen is each state uh, has had its own uh, ways of returning to as close to normal as possible. In Queensland, inspections have been allowed since the start of May. Mid-May, the New South Wales government announced that open home inspections and public auctions could go ahead. Uh, a couple of weeks later, Victoria announced that there are new rules as of June for the number of people at auction and open homes. There's only 20 allowed on site, but that's more than the 10 that were allowed previously. What we have seen with clearance rates is a return from the big lows that we saw in April. So for Sydney specifically, the clearance rate hit a 15-year low in April and in May it's rebounded to 59%. That's an increase of 23 percentage points. And that sort of is, as you say, off the back of low volumes, but it is a strong sign that if you are going to take your property to auction, you are likely to find a buyer at the moment if you've got the right property. I think that's what's important. I wonder how much of that recent strength in the clearance rate has come from buyers who did hold off in that first sort of month, six weeks of lockdown, who did kind of put it off until now to see what would happen? Or are they people who have commenced a new marketing campaign, you know, surely not six weeks ago? No, you'd imagine that there's some pent-up demand. And every time we do see the market kind of take a bit of a, a recess, think, you know, around elections. And we saw this last year. You have that sort of pent-up demand and people do start to come back. And we were seeing the market reawaken sort of around spring last year after the election result was determined. And even at the start of this year, the market came back very strong. Mm. So what would you say buyer sentiment's doing at the moment in terms of obviously the sort of idea of this conundrum of trying to instill confidence in people is very challenging for governments at the moment. How is that translating and playing out in the property market? Sentiment is still subdued. I think we have to remember that we are on a backdrop of a lot of economic uncertainty and we'll see what that looks like in September when we have uh, more clarity around what the government plans to do with things like JobKeeper and what the banks decide to do with their mortgage holidays that they have been giving to some of their customers. However, the encouraging signs are that there are sales happening at decent prices if vendors are prepared to meet the market. But it is happening in that sub two million category, more so than the prestige end of the market, isn't it? Because we know the prestige end is usually the first to drop and takes the longest to recover. So it is houses under under two million dollars, which is well above the Australian median. We have to we do have to flag that. Yes, the, I think the Australian median is somewhere around eight hundred thousand dollars. And so that's where most of the market uh, activity happens. The prestige market is such a small subset of buyers that it often is uh, does take longer. What we have seen though in terms of listing numbers is that some areas in the um, in the past four weeks have come back more than 177%. So that's in the St George area. That's where things are leading the most. In the northern suburbs of Sydney, listings are up 110%. How would you explain that then? Why is that happening, do you think? I think, well, percentages, you know, it means that there's been such a small number um, in the past couple of weeks. But I do think people are keen to get life back to normal. And so they want to be able to uh, proceed with the things that they were planning to do, whether that's selling their house or buying a new property or even starting their property search or restarting their property search. Um, we are seeing a lot of activity in the first home buyer 
um, area as well. Is that a case of first home buyers, do you think, wanting to potentially grab a bargain while the market is in a softer state? I think they're trying to assess, yes, whether they whether they can get a bargain or just quite keen to get themselves into the market before they presume that uh, things will take off again, which I think is probably some months off, but I would imagine that, you know, uh, things can uh, things can escalate quite quickly, as we've seen in property. Mm. And I think the really interesting time is going to be September, October. Will we see an uptick in distressed sales? If the mortgage reprieve is, is ended at that point, what happens to those properties that some people do have to default on their mortgage? What happens then? Sadly, I think that's probably going to become a very a very normal occurrence for some people. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we have seen so far that distressed um, listings aren't particularly common in our main cities, but there is under 2% of current listings for sale. But in other areas um, like holiday areas such as southeast Queensland and even um, tropical North Queensland, we are seeing more people trying to get out of the market because people can't travel. And that's a big that's a big thing for property at the moment as well, is, you know, we are seeing people wanting to inquire on property in Queensland, for example, but they can't go to see the property, they can't inspect it, they can't visit their holiday houses because those borders remain closed. So that will definitely put a sort of a pause on a flurry of interstate activity in Queensland, which we do see as one of the big uh, driving forces behind the Queensland property market. Mm. Adrian, just finally, are there any changes that are going to sort of remain in a post-COVID era in property, do you think? Online auctions, um, as you said, agents scrambled to get that up and running. They managed it. Do you think the public will still want to transact in that way along with public auctions or in-house auctions? I think there'll be some people who have to transact online. I think the thing we need to remember is we are still in a public health pandemic. There are, you know, we don't need to be out of the house and we're not being encouraged not to leave the house if we don't need to. So people who... Um, have uh, compromised health or but still need to buy property will need to do so via the online method. And I think for a lot of people, they might enjoy the sort of safety and sort of the relaxed uh, approach to that via, you know, sitting on their phone on the couch on a Saturday morning. So I think that will probably stay. I'd imagine that online auctions will at least be a part of a sales campaign or the auction process for sure. My personal hope is we get this lovely sort of sweet spot where you can attend an auction in the street and you also can bid online. I think there's a real value for that, being able to take a beat, sit back on your sofa and think, what am I doing here, rather than get very carried away. So I think my ideal hope is that we can actually have this lovely sort of meshing of of the two worlds coming together, digital and in person. Absolutely, and I think we will see that Mm. continue. Adrian, that was great. Thank you so much for talking to me and um, I'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Alice. Talk to you later. We're now going to hear from a buyer who had the experience of buying at auction just after the lockdown measures came into effect in New South Wales. Incredibly, he hadn't even taken a single step inside the property before the purchase. Hello, my name's Steve Bonamini, born and bred in Sydney and I've moved up to Brisbane. I saw an investment property I was looking for in the southern area of Sydney called Peakhurst. It was just at the start of the lockdown period. So I decided like two months prior to that that I was definitely going to buy something because the property market started to go up, you know, and then the, then the virus sort of started to take a stranglehold then. I had never actually been in the house. I only saw it online. I bid over the phone and I was successful. I still work in Sydney a bit, so I'm going to use the place to live in temporary and also it's a fairly large block that I can put a duplex on further down the track. It's an 800 square metre block. They're getting harder to get hold of, I suppose. 
Um, no, I didn't have anyone look at it. It looked all right online, the photos and everything like that. And it's got a double garage, which suits me for a bit of storage as well. It's a good little house, actually. It's a real comfortable, tidy, neat home. I've lived in a lot worse houses than that one. I, I wasn't overly keen on bidding online because I'm not really all that technical with computers and stuff. So I... Um, I did actually bid over the phone by a representative of the agent, but yeah, I did everything else online, registered and all that sort of stuff. I opened the bidding with a good strong bid. There was another family bidding and then another guy came in who was a, a like a developer. He started bidding, but he actually said to the agent after it, he said, look, he would have gone more, but he said the other guy was too strong and he didn't see the point, which was... I suppose my uh, my tactic and hopefully it paid off. I have bought a few properties at auction before and it does um, get a little bit stressful here and there, but it wasn't too bad. It all sort of went fairly smoothly. Yeah, I'd, I'd do it again if I had to do it again. So um, it wasn't too much of a drama. I presume that's, you know, probably the way of the future eventually, like there'd be probably auctions and people online as well. Turning our attention now to what lies ahead, my next guest is Evan Lucas, the Chief Market Strategist from Invest Smart, who is with me today to talk about what the outlook for the Australian property market is in the next phase of the COVID era. I want to preface that we're not in the prediction business here, we're in the observation business. So obviously Evan is going to tap into his brain's trust of a mind and help us unpack what the road ahead may look like. Evan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Alice. I love that word. I, I love observation over sort of, you know, prediction because at the moment I think personally a lot of people are pulling numbers out of hats to be totally honest with you because this is such an unknown. Nobody living today has actually ever experienced what we're all going through. So that's exactly what it is. It's observation rather than actually forecasting and predicting. Evan, big question to kick off. What do you think the economy is going to look like in the months ahead? I think we need to look at it from the point of view, what happens up to September and then post-September. And the reason I say that is that it's... It's what we know is happening with job seeker and job keeper programs up to the days they finish, which is the 11th and the 15th of September respectively, and then what happens afterwards. Now, the caveat to that is that clearly you're already starting to hear the federal government talk about changes to those programs. It's been taken as a negative. I actually see it as more of a sort of a, a fluid scenario. The reason I use that word is clearly the government's going to start targeting areas of the economy, tourism, education, hospitality, aviation, these industries that you see on the TV every day of the week that are absolutely being decimated by this crisis um, will probably get support. Whereas, mm. you know, sectors of the economy that probably don't need the support anymore because they've either are up and running again or can work from home like you and I are right now and actually getting things done, they are the ones that are different. So up to September, what we're starting to see is there is a cushion. We're actually now starting to see surveys that matter, things like the business confidence surveys, the consumer confidence surveys. Yes, they look horrible. But if you look at them compared to March to April, they're improving. Mm. So we're a little bit more confident that our economic conditions we'll be able to get through this. And I think so much of the consumer sentiment is going to sort of have this awakening in September when a lot of people may lose that cushioning of the mortgage relief that's currently being offered, as well as, you know, flagging the end of the JobKeeper and job seeker programs. Evan, what do you think this is going to mean for buyers and sellers in the property market after September? Yeah, so that's the other thing about this, is that the property market is probably the most interesting market out there because 
of the controls, economics, so supply and demand. Demand, we always know about, you know, the first homeowners, the investors, et cetera, they're the ones that we always talk about. The other side of it is first homeowners that actually bought their first home or the investors that bought that investment property are also the suppliers. Mm. So if they all of a sudden start to see a suggestion where, you know, you are hearing these horrendous headline numbers and put my hand up straight away, those numbers to me, I don't think are likely. And that's because of this answer, which is that if the market starts to see prices declining at such a rapid rate, people just withdraw their supply. Mm. So there's less supply on the market. Demand might have come back to also bring price down, but demand is still relatively there. It will still be there. So price moderations come into play. So instead of falling that horrendous headline 30%, it may fall sort of 9 to 15% over the next 18 months, mm. which isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world because it makes it a buyer's market. There are a lot of buyers out there that want in. They've been trying to find a way and as horrible as COVID's been, maybe that presents the idea to them. There is obviously an upside to that for a lot of people who want to get into the market, that it's not as unappealing and intimidating price-wise as what it may have been historically. Evan, we know unemployment has a strong knock-on effect on the property market. How concerned are you about how high that rate could go and what would that mean for the market going forward? So the reason and part of why prices are likely to fall is because unemployment is clearly already up. So unemployment is a big, big driver in property. Unemployment, you know, could probably be argued that it's sitting around 10%. The next part of it is also what we call the underutilization, which is unemployment. So those that we see every day, you know, that unemployment rate that unfortunately don't have a job, but those that are actually employed that want to work more, we call them the underemployment. If you put those two together, that's underutilization. The reason that's important is because if you need to work more, to make more money, your buying power is obviously impacted. Mm. And that's the other part of that question that you're getting to, Alice, is if we see underutilization also stubbornly high, it does take a, a, that, you know, that ability for somebody to go out to a bank, get a mortgage, to then go and buy a house. So mm. that is why uh, employment is probably the, you know, the key metric here with regards to how you look at the property market. The interesting thing about all what we're just talking about as well is that when this all happens, when this will actually come to a fore is actually during the peak you know, period of the year, spring. So it'll be the end of September, yeah. start of October. It's going to be amazing to see what is traditionally Super Saturday that last weekend in October when all this could come to a fore because that's when the economy has been asked to basically – know, stand back up on its feet from the federal government. Evan, you touched on this earlier about people wanting to work from home more and perhaps, you know, flourishing with the idea of doing a tree change or a sea change. Mm -hmm. Do you think we're going to see a lot of people asking their employers more for that and perhaps really being brave enough to make that move and live somewhere regionally on a permanent basis? Yes, there's another way of looking at that question, which is that businesses can actually look at it from the other side of their fixed cost. So what they have learnt from this whole scenario is that, hang on a minute, they have actually seen their workforce still being relatively productive. They can be relied upon at home to actually do their job. Mm. And what I mean by that is that if you're a business that looks at your f overall expenses and you find that one of the biggest expenses is fixed costs from the commercial real estate that you rent, then that can actually now be addressed. You could start looking at the point of view that maybe we only get you know, the staff to come in three out of five days a week if they're happy to work at home. Therefore, do we need an office the size that we currently have? Can we downsize? Can we make that mm. therefore smaller? And 
this is outside of obviously residential property. Commercial property for me has actually got a real structural headwind around yield, around rents, about what that means, because that's what you're starting to hear. And, and you alluded to the big techs in the US. You're actually hearing here in Australia, the ones to look at are the law firms and the accounting firms. They're the ones that have actually already started to suggest this. EY, for example, is certainly looking into this very closely. Deloitte Economics are doing something similar. And then financial firms are also seeing not only the life benefits, but again, they're there's a, there's a business benefit to it, which is actually we don't mm-hmm. have to pay X price for rent. We could possibly pay X minus 25% because we can downsize. Well, it's a huge knock-on effect for residential property in that you can imagine mm. obviously we're in very sort of densely populated parts of inner Melbourne and Sydney in particular. There's only so much space, but will people start going out? Will that trend to have larger houses not that far from the city? You know, I'm thinking like Yarra Valley or something in, in Melbourne, for example, where you could have your polo field should you desire yes. or whatever um you could have a little bit of all of that could you, you could not only that it also should be seen as a a possible economic advantage for the regions that lifestyle that you can't get in the inner cities of the east and you know perth and adelaide can all of a sudden possibly come about because you can therefore work three or four days in one of the regions bigger house you know the lifestyle that comes with living in the regions and then commute one or two days a week mm. or even sort of you know some people work in fortnights and look at it from the point of view of maybe six days on and four days in the city that's all what's now being questioned and there's certainly communities out there that are already showing the signs that hey look at the pricing that we're offering you for a you know half acre or an acre block with a four or five bedroom house an hour and a half from Melbourne you can get for half a million to 700,000 versus the average price Mm. in a Melbourne of that kind of size of being at least 1.2 to 1.3 and in Sydney you're talking possibly touching towards 2 million bucks so yeah it's apples and oranges yeah and this is this is the change that COVID's bringing is that there has been a forced look inside of your lifestyle and what's important to you and how that all works and that's again the beauty of what's going on at the moment and looking at the property market is that it's always been described in Australia as that it's the urban versus the regionals. Regionals have been contracting for a long long time because you know we in Australia like to work where we live vice versa we live where we work. If you can all of a sudden live in your workspace because you can work from home like we are right now, that changes that whole dynamic and changes that whole principle. Evan, thank you so much for your time. It was really fascinating talking with you and you've given us a lot to ponder today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Alice. Before I go, I wanted to share a little bit about why I've decided to create this podcast. I've been covering the property market for just under a decade, and I know it can be complex, baffling, and even confusing at times. So I hope that the conversations I have with my guests will help provide you with some clarity and context to the broader issues and how they might affect you now and in the future. If there is a topic you'd like us to cover or an issue you want us to unpack, please let us know. You can send us an email at propertyunpacked at domain.com.au. Speak soon. You've been listening to Property Unpacked, a podcast by Domain. If you like what you've heard, hit subscribe and look out for further episodes dropping every Thursday. For more property news, advice and market insights, head to domain.com.au.